This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio. Welcome to Leadership in Action on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Jeff Klein, Executive Director of the Ann and John McKelty Leadership Program, and I'm here on Zoom. This is quite a treat. We're all here on Zoom <laughs> together. It's Mike Yusin and Ann Greenhall. How are you guys? <laughs> Great, <laughs> Jeff. We're Zooming. <laughs> Mike, we're going to need you to step the jokes up. If uh, <laughs> that's your entry point right now, we're going to need you to really look for a good show today, Mike. <laughs> Um, I can't remember the last time the three of us were on together. I feel like it's been a couple of weeks, if not, you know, so explosive treat. Yeah, it is a treat. Um, Here we are. Right. I should remind everybody before we get started. We've got um, two great guests today, Uh, but I should remind everyone that new episodes of our show premiere every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern here on Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 132. Uh, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter at SXM Business. That's at SXM Business. So, my friends, in a world of constant change, what can leaders do to build flexible and adaptive workplaces that inspire people to achieve extraordinary results? Right? It's a question we wrestle with. Uh, it's a question we've just lived through. Right? as we've thought about the kind of flexibility, the kind of adaptability, the kind of resilience uh, that we have needed as a higher education institution and as a leadership program and all of those things. And we're really fortunate today that we don't have to answer these questions. (laughs) That's good. We brought some experts on (laughs) and we'll check to see if we did anything right (laughs) last like 16 months. and more importantly, this is a conversation that that really isn't about um, how do we adapt to the changing conditions of the pandemic. It's really about how do uh, how do we recognize and how do we align these different puzzle pieces that shape an organization, mm-hmm. right? And, and really drive the kind of engagement, the kind of performance that organizations are seeking. So let me welcome two old friends to the show. And let me welcome two old friends back to the show because this isn't even your first time here. We've we've all had these conversations before. Um, but today we have Derek Newberry. How are you, Derek? Hello. Be with the gang. Fantastic. And Mario Musa. How are you, Mario? Great. Nice to be here. All right. Um, and Derek and Mario, you are the co-authors, along with Greg Urban, of a new book called The Culture Puzzle, Harnessing the Forces that Drive Your Organization's Success. Um, If you'll bear with me, I just want to say a few more words about both of you, and then we'll dive right into this conversation. Um, Mario, you are an award-winning author, you're a consultant, you're a teacher, um, and, you know, I know you from extensive work that you've done at the Wharton School, you've also taught at UCLA and Duke and the University of Virginia, Um, and... You know, the one of the ways I experience you, Mario, is you're someone who brings together 
the, the concepts and the practice of team effectiveness, of communication, of culture, um, and also change management. And, um, and so we're, we're delighted to have you back on the show here today um, and delighted to have you with our other good buddy, Derek Newberry. Um, Derek, you're an affiliated faculty member here at the University of Pennsylvania, um, an organizational development consultant. And then this is pretty cool. Uh, you designed this, this Coursera course, right? And uh, all of our listeners, I think, are, at this point are familiar with Coursera and the massive open online course platform. Um, but this is a course on building high-performing teams that you, that you launched with some colleagues here at Penn and um, selected as a best online business course by Poets and Quants. So congratulations for that. Yeah, that's great. Here, here. <laughs> all right. So we want to dive into um, the new book, right, which is The Culture Puzzle. And, um, you know, Mario, I think maybe just to start with you, what drew you to the topic? Um, you know, you, you've talked about, in, you've written about influence, you've written about high-performing teams. Um, this question of organizational, organizational culture and the framing of the culture puzzle um, why was that the topic that you wanted to take up? Yeah, well, it's a topic that I've been interested in for a really long time. You know, as you said, I, I did work on influence and communication and teams. I had the feeling that there was a way to bring those topics together. And for me, that was, that was culture. Uh, but it was really hard to wrap my arms around it. Uh, I think of the quote from Lou Gerstner, the former IBM CEO. He said, culture is everything. And I think Derek and, and Greg would agree with that. It's everything, but that's exactly what makes it so puzzling. You know, how, right. how do you manage it if it's, a, if it's everything? And so Derek and Greg and I got together about five, six years ago, and we started having conversations about just what it is, how do you manage it, and that that led to the framework in the, in the book. And what I what I think we got to in uh, in a, in a way that was really helpful is we focused on four things that that drive it questions that. We, that people ask when they come together and try to get things things done. So where are we going? And in other words, that's their vision. Um, mm -hmm. Who's in our group? Who's outside of our group? We call that interest. You know, everybody has an interest in being part of a group and belonging. And then um, how do we reinforce what's important to us? You know, what are our habits, the rituals that characterize our work? And then how do we get better at, at doing what we do? So for us, those are the forces that drive culture. And when we hit upon that framework and, and Greg had been doing work in this area for a long time and essentially had been tilling that, that, that soil of the four forces. But when we began to develop that, we began to feel like, oh, this is practical and could be really helpful in managing culture and helping you slow down and, and see it. So, uh, so uh, to put, a, uh, put it all together, I'd say, we have this book, but it took me about 30 years to figure out what I wanted to say. I'm a you know, slow learner in, in that way. And, and Mario, I really appreciate what, what you're saying about the complexity of, of thinking about and talking about culture. Um, Derek, to bring you into the conversation, I think one of, one of the really interesting things 
about the approach that you and Mario and Greg have taken with this book is, is you bring an anthropological approach. Um, can, you, can you tell us why that's important and how it shaped the way that you in, engaged in this project? Yeah, absolutely. So I think in a, in a couple of ways, and this was also one of the things that I think compelled us to write the book or made us feel that there was a real need here is, you know, there are really timeless insights you can draw if you look at human societies and groups all over the world and across time. And the fact is that people are fundamentally social, right? We know that, that, um, you know, we, that groups, we come together because the groups we participate in whether it's our communities, our families, our tribes, whatever the sports teams, whatever the case may be, they fulfill very deep-seated needs we have. And those needs are fulfilled through culture, right? Culture is kind of what completes us as people. And what we noticed when we uh, thought about the clients we worked with, the workplaces that, that we were coming into, the three of us, we realized that that collective effervescence, that, that joy and satisfaction and sense of meaning that we get from most of the groups we're a part of, oftentimes are completely absent from the group that we spend more time with than, than anything else, unfortunately, which is our workplace and our office teams and things like that, right? And so that, that led us to ask, well, what can we draw as social scientists, as anthropologists who are also consultants, also in the business world, what can we teach our clients and business leaders about what it is that makes groups tick, what makes people come together to achieve something that's more than, than the sum of uh, each individual person and, and component, right? Uh, what are some of those timeless insights to apply to the business place? Um, and those are some of the things that Mario talked about, the power of vision, collective storytelling, tapping into those uh, individual interests and creating a set of collective interests, right? But that's really where the anthropological perspective came in. Thanks, Derek. And I'll remind our listeners that this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host, Jeff Klein. I'm here with Ann Greenhall and Mike Yusim. And we have two guests today, Mario Musa and Derek Newberry, who've written a great new book called The Culture Puzzle, Harnessing the Forces That Drive Your Organization's Success. So, Ann, let me turn this over to you. Oh, thank you, Jeff. And Derek and Mario, so delightful to have a chance to speak with you. I'm going to pick up um, where Jeff left off on the question of an anthropological approach. And Derek, I really appreciate your comment about timeless insights, but I'd like to ask a little bit more about the specific approach. When I think of anthropological approach, I often think of narrative. So I'll start with you, Derek. How Can you speak more precisely about the methodology of the book? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the approach that we advocate in the book for leaders is fundamentally about doing deep listening and deep observation of their own organization, almost like you're an anthropologist of your own organization, right? Because that is the, the approach anthropologists take. You know, uh, it's, it's really getting, getting inside of a group and becoming almost like an insider yourself, really understanding what makes them tick, what the power dynamics are, and so forth. And why that's so important is because, as Mario said, Culture is both, because culture is everywhere, it can feel like it's nowhere at the same time. And when you've been, say, a leader for your, of your organization for a long time, you've been there a while, the culture just kind of goes into the background, right? It becomes yeah. the wallpaper. And you don't even notice the problems, the misalignments, the things that are hurting performance, that are causing people to disengage, that are right in, uh, under your nose. 
And so you have to think like an anthropologist. You have to look at your own organization and your own culture with fresh eyes. Walk the halls, or in this case, walk the virtual halls. You know, do skip level meetings, spend more time with people outside of your business unit, outside of your division, really listening to them and kind of observing them and, and understanding what are the behaviors and therefore the underlying values that really drive this organization. And so oftentimes you'll find that there are, you know, things that you would never have thought to comment on, that you would have never noticed. That, that actually tell, give you really deep insights about both what's great about your culture, but also some things that could that could be derailing you. Derek, I so appreciate that. Now, I am raised as an academic, but I very much, and I very much appreciate the classroom of life. And maybe Mario, to follow up with you, when I, when I try to do the sorts of things that Derek, that you're referring to, being a good observer, a good listener, sometimes I worry that I am finding in the environment exactly what I'm looking for. In other words, that confirmation bias. So can you say more about how we go about being those, you know, solid anthropologists that Derek's describing? Yeah, and I think it's important to keep in mind a, a few principles. Um, one is, you know, that one Derek was talking about listening. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's really important to listen. I think um, I think it's useful to continually to remind yourself it's really hard to listen, so you have mm -hmm. to work at it. I think another important principle is be curious. So adopt a questioning, inquiring frame of mind. Mm -hmm. And what goes along with that is uh, don't assume that you understand where someone's coming from. So listen, ask questions, probe. And a third principle is work really hard to understand people in, in, in their own terms. Uh, don't impose your way of thinking on them. So I think yeah. if, you, yeah. you know, if you listen, if you strive to be curious, if you ask questions, follow up, really try to understand where others are coming from, that becomes a kind of practice. And as, as Derek was saying, one of the tricky things, one of the puzzling things about culture is it tends to fade into the background. It's sort of like yeah. the water that a fish swims in. Yeah. So it, it does take some effort to, to listen, to pay attention. And then I would also say to, to slow down and, mm -hmm. uh, and really be in touch with what's happening uh, what, why, right in front of you. You know, the great English novelist George Orwell once said, it takes a constant effort to see what's right in front of our noses. And I think reminding ourselves that that's the, the case is key to doing the kind of deep listening that Derek was talking about. Mario, that's great, thank you. Mike, let me bring you into the conversation. Uh, well, very quickly to stay on the same theme, uh, Derek and Mario, and first of all, great to have you on the show. Uh, you argue that we should become storytellers, but to pick up on the earlier phrase, also story listeners. Really like that, a kind of a duality. We, we create the culture, but we also have to understand it. On the story listener side, what, what is some of the, I don't know, grammar or the, the language by which we can come to understand what we're hearing as a story of origination, for example? How did the company get going? Or what's the dominant uh, sort of water to borrow that metaphor that we swim in? So anyway, uh, maybe Derek, beginning with you and then over tomorrow, 
uh, how should we be a story listener? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And I would say, Mike, it's important to connect really broadly in your organization and to start small. And I'll explain both of those things. One of the reasons we emphasize story listening over storytelling is, you know, it's now acknowledged that storytelling is the, which was often seen as a quote unquote soft skill before is now seen as a really critical leadership skill to influence people, to galvanize them, which is great. But I think the, the challenge that's still there is we have this idea that a great vision for your organization emerges, you know, like, like Athena from the head of Zeus, from the head of a brilliant visionary leader, when in reality, if you have an organization of say 500 people or 50,000 people, you have 50,000 culture CEOs who decide what your culture is, what your vision and purpose are every single day when they show up to work and decide, you know, big and small things, how they're going to make big decisions or how they're just going to show up to a meeting. And so it's important to um, collect stories from across your organization in order to be able to tell the story of your organization, if that makes sense. It's not something you can do just by reflecting and brainstorming on your own. And then in terms of how to do that, you know, I'm really inspired by the example of Jim Young Kim, uh, who recently stepped down uh, as head of the World Bank and also an anthropologist, by the way. And what, what's really interesting about him is when he was first um, appointed to that post, he was really excited, right, for the big opportunity um, to, to fight poverty. But he was also really apprehensive because he thought, you know, I'm an anthropologist and a physician. I'm coming into this organization that's dominated by economists, basically. They're totally different culture. How am I going to build a connection with them? And so what he did, he acted like an anthropologist. He got out of his office on day one and he, he walked the halls and he met everyone he could at every level. And he asked them all the same question, which is, what was your proudest moment working here? So notice what's really interesting about that. He didn't ask, can you write down your values you know, on a piece of paper for me, which is often the kind of exercise you go through when you're trying to understand the values of an organization. He didn't even ask you know, big lofty questions like what was the, you know, the origin of the World Bank? He asked really simple personal questions of everyone he met. Um, what was your proudest moment here? And he started collecting these stories about you know, proud moments. And what that told him in some was, okay, these are the underlying values that really drive this organization. These are the reasons people show up for something other than a paycheck. And what he started to stitch together was this story about a dream of eradicating poverty worldwide. And so from that point on, anytime he had to get a new initiative or a new strategy moving forward, he always couched it in terms of that larger story of this is how you know, we're going to eliminate poverty worldwide together. So again, he was able to stitch together that big story about the World Bank and, and really galvanize and move people, but by starting very small and very personal and kind of building up from there. So again, story listening, it's all about kind of connecting broadly, not just making it about your own story or your own version of the story, but asking you know, for people to tell their own stories in really simple, basic ways that, that reveal these sort of underlying values and truths about why we show up for work every day, what motivates us. So, Derek, thank you on that. I'm going to turn it upside down then for Mario. Uh, story listening vital. And once we've listened, we then also begin to tell our own stories. So what are a couple of guidelines you would offer up to our listeners on how to be a really good storyteller, not to tell a good story, but to tell a good story that really advances the, uh, the enterprise, somehow strengthens the culture, uh, so for that more instrumental purpose, how do we tell yeah. a good story? Yeah, yeah. Well, so I would build on what 
Derek was saying about kind of basic, timeless human needs. And I would listen, uh, I would listen for uh, a few topics that people are, 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 are talking about. And you could think of them as kind of mythic topics. You look at any organization, any group, anywhere, any point in history, people are going to be asking, okay, where are we going? Um, how are we going to get there? Uh, who's, in, who's inside our group? Uh, who's, who's outside our group? How am I going to get ahead? What happens if I make a mistake? Who can I, who can I trust? So I would say, uh, listen to what people are saying about those basic human concerns, which have always been with us ever since human beings became human beings, and then tie them to where your company is going, where your organization is going. And I think, you know, another important idea that we, that we talk about in the, in the culture puzzle is if a vision is yours alone, if you're not a good story listener in, in this sense, the vision is not going to be effective. You might you know, like force people to listen to it and kind of mouth the words of, of, a, of a vision, but it's not really gonna be motivating. One of the first stories we tell in the book is about an Egyptian pharaoh, Akhenaten, and he was not a good story listener. Um, he actually declared that he was a god. You know, he was a sun god. He created a whole religion and built a whole new city. And he was at the center of that, that religion. But his vision was just, uh, was just his vision alone. He had a lot of power. So he basically mandated that, that the religion was going to change and he was going to be at the center of it. But the striking thing is when he died, literally overnight that religion went away and uh, and his successor reinstituted the old religion and for us what's fascinating is you see a similar pattern in the modern corporation a leader a sun god type leader comes in mandates changes and the leader goes away and then the old culture comes back and in some cases the old ceo comes back so for a vision to go really deep and to be motivating, it has to speak to those enduring human concerns like belonging, meaning, purpose. So listen for those, those, you know, those deep human needs and then connect them to strategy and connect them to the operational parts of the business. I mean, I, I think your question, Mike, is about practicality and we're all about practicality too. So if you're gonna make your organization thrive, uh, you have to tie the basics, the operational basics to these needs that, that we all have. And if you can make that connection, you're going to be an effective leader and you're going to create a thriving organization. All right. Thank you, Annette. I'm going to yield the baton back to Jeff. I should remind our listeners that this is leadership in action. They are deeply listening to leadership in action. On Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132, uh, we are talking with Mario Musa and Derek Newberry, who've written a new book called The Culture Puzzle, Harnessing the Forces that Drive Your Organization's Success. As I was sitting here listening, um, the, the question that kept popping up for me, and, and so as a leader, um, as someone who is walking the halls and um, listening to the stories being told, what recommendations do you have if, if the stories that I'm hearing aren't reflecting the culture 
that I hope exists within the organization. But what do I do if I start to sense a gap and maybe just get us started here? And, and you know, we know that um, we can continue this conversation after the break as well. Yeah. So I think very practically, if you feel like there's a disconnect between your vision, what you hope in your organization uh, will will be or become and what people are saying, what they're feeling, get a group of people together on Zoom in, you know, or face-to-face and have a conversation. Ask, okay, how do we close that gap? You know, wh- what can we do day-to-day that will align what we, the, the way we run the business with our vision of what we want the organization to be? And I would say, be really practical. I mean, one of the mistakes we feel that leaders often make about culture is they think about finance and operations, supply chain, and so on, you know, on one side. And then the other side, there's culture. And culture is kind of w- window dressing. But the fact is that culture, uh, culture influences how we think, how we make decisions, how we think about strategy, how we manage supply chain. So ask, you, ask your people, bring them together and ask them, okay, uh, when we have a meeting, how are we going to run a meeting? Or when we're building relationships with suppliers, how do we build those relationships? You know, uh, how do we build trust with with our partners? So I would say have that conversation and then ask, okay, what can we do about it? And then, as we like to say, run experiments, experiment, you know, experiment with uh, with ways to close that gap. So bring people together, listen to them experiment. Culture is driven through experimentation or innovation. It's not words on a flip chart or a website. Yeah, that's part of it, but it's, you know, it's fundamentally about how you, how you run your business. And I think it often starts when there's a disconnect with having that conversation about how to close the gap between our aspirations and what we're doing day to day. So Derek, what advice would you have for us then about how to think about designing experiments to help to affect a culture change. Yeah. So Jeff, I think this is a really important point because we tend to think of culture change and big transformational sweeps, which that might be the broader goal. But the fact is most of the time when you try to sort of change your culture all at once, you just end up pulling the rug out from under it and you, you create more problems than anything else. Right. So we find that it's really helpful to sort of start small experiment, see what works, and then try to scale it up. And so, you know, one example of um, where where I've seen that be really effective in uh, my current firm, Co Collective, from a lead in the organization and culture design practice, was working with a client recently where they wanted to build a courageous culture. So, and this is a really common thing we hear, right? We need to take more risks. We need to be more courageous with each other. And it's one of those things that. Sounds really nice, but can uh, end up being a platitude or just a value that sits, you know, on a uh, you know on on a poster somewhere and that nobody pays attention to. So we started by asking, okay, when we say a courageous culture, what do we mean? And we started collecting and telling stories again, back to stories. Well, what does a courageous culture look like when we're in a meeting together, when we're making decisions? And we got down to the really specific level of behavior. So one thing we discovered is that. Um, it was really hard for people to um, provide input uh, in, in important decisions because oftentimes they weren't brought in until that decision was really far along. They didn't feel comfortable speaking up. 
you said, okay, that's a really specific behavioral change that if we were able to affect change at a large scale, that would really create a courageous culture across the organization. So you said, well, let's try an experiment. What? And then we asked, what gets in the way from you having input early on in the decision-making process? And it ended up being a really simple barrier. We're oftentimes not asked. Somebody picks up a new idea, they run with it, and it's not out of any malicious intent or anything. Uh, there's just not sort of a formal process for knowing who to get input from and where. So we made a really, so we started a really simple uh, pilot, a small experiment where he said, okay, in important decisions moving forward, you have a kickoff meeting at the very beginning of that process where you lay out, here's the decision-making process and here are all the people I think should be involved in this and, and at what point they should be involved. And there's a moment and you have a moment where people can say, I don't think that's right or we're not including the right people. Um, but you start with that and then, and then it's really clear who's giving input and when. So we started that as a small experiment. We said, let's give this you know, three weeks, try it out. We'll come back together and we'll see how this experiment went. Did, you know, were we successful or not? Do we need to make any adjustments? And if it's successful, you know, can, we, can we scale this thing up? So again, you know, breaking that down, it's all about number one, when you have that you know, change that, that you feel like you need to make or a gap that you need to fill, ask what are the, isolate the behaviors, tell stories that help you isolate the key behaviors. You design sort of small experiments that help change or nudge uh, the right behaviors or remove, the, remove barriers and then test and learn and, and see what works and what, what scales up. But again, it's all about starting small. Thanks, Derek. Let's, let's bring Ann back in. Hey, I was hoping you would. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> uh, Derek and Mario, we've been talking a bit about storytelling, uh, about telling and also listening. I'd like to move to that second piece of the puzzle, and that is the piece on interests and tribes. So how about, Mario, start with you. Could you talk a little bit about interests? Yeah, well, one of the things that we talk about in the cultural puzzle is we all have some base, like three basic interests. You could think of it this way. We have a whole lot of interests, but you know, in, in the deepest sense, we all want to be part of a group. You know, so you know, think of that as getting along. And then we all want to be recognized for our work. So call that get ahead. And then we want to do meaningful work. Uh, so we want to get things done. Uh, and it's those interests that, uh, that drive us uh, when, we, when we come to the office in our organization. So um, the, the, the connection to tribes is, um, you know, if you go way, way back to the beginning of human history, what you see is we learned pretty quickly that we do better in a group than we do alone or in, in pairs. And so you come together in a, in a group, we're hardwired to come together in groups. Derek was talking about this earlier, for this reason, for evolutionary reasons. And we immediately we come together and we ask, okay, who's in our group? Who's outside our group? What's our group identity? Um, uh, how do you get ahead in, in this group? What's the work that we're doing? How do we support each other in, in doing that work? So, you know, the basic point is you put a group of people together and, you know, in, uh, in our terms, they form a tribe. I mean, in that way, we're tribal. I mean, that, that term is freighted. It has a history, but there, there's a reason why we use it. It's, it. It gets at the fact that this wiring, which goes to like the most primitive parts of ourselves, 
is still operative. So we come together and we form a group, we form a tribe, and then you know we get try to get along, get ahead, and get things done. And the challenge in organizations is working across tribes, or you know, to use another term, teams. You know, what's you know, how do we get things done at work? I mean, essentially, we work in teams, and teams drive true, you know, tremendous results and and performance. But the challenge is often teams become isolated. They you know they become silos. And so how do we work across those, how do we work across the silos, across teams? And when you begin to do that well, you create what Stanley McChrystal calls a team of teams. And for us, that's essentially a, a culture. A culture is a tribe of tribes, a, a team of teams. And what the culture, a big thing that the culture puzzle is about is how to create that unified culture, that organization, that imagined community, there are all kinds of terms that you could use to describe it, but it's like when we come together as one, and that's, I would say, we would say, that's the work of leadership around, uh, around culture, creating that, 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 that imagined community which brings everyone together. And again, you know, it's always important to emphasize, it's not, it, it's not pie in the sky, because this is about, okay, how do you manage your finances? Uh, how do you manage your website? I mean, uh, all those, you know, those are expressions of culture and things don't go well when you're not aligned, you know, yeah. so you, you make yeah. different assumptions, different ways of making decisions. And that's when we have business problems. So that's the practical point for us. Culture is about aligning of, of, behind a way of doing things. Mario, I so appreciate your outlining of those three uh, points, belonging, and getting ahead, and then meaning-making. And in my mind, these are really simple. Are we in or out? Are we up or down? And maybe, exactly. Derek, I might follow up with you on that meaning-making. Do you find a similar tension? You know, it's not up, down, in or out. Is there a spectrum when you think about meaning-making in tribes? So can you say a little bit more, you know, the about the getting past the tension of up, down, in or, in or out? Anne? Yeah, well, I guess I'm asking when making meaning in a tribe, does that get played out in the belonging, whether individuals are in and in or out? Does it get played out in whether they're up above or down below? So just kind of curious about the relationship between meaning making and those other two interests. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I would say it, it ends up being a rationalization in a way of reinforcing those other yeah. things, right? Okay. Which is why it can also be a tool to affect change in them, right? So just to go a little bit deeper on uh, what Mario was talking about, sort of the tribal instincts we all have, you know, one of our favorite studies, a classic one, is um, a group of researchers who took school children, very young school children, and basically divided them up into two tribes. They divided um, this group of kids into uh, one group that had blue shirts on, one group that wore red shirts. And they wanted to see how putting them into these two different groups would affect their behavior. The only difference was blue versus red shirt. But over the days and weeks, they basically formed their own little cliques or tribes. Uh, they started, you know, the blue shirts would only hang out with the blue shirts. And they started, you know, imputing these bad motives onto the, uh, the others. The red shirts would say the blue shirt kids weren't as nice. The blue shirt kids didn't want to help out the red shirt kids. 
And, you know, that seems like child's play, but the fact is organizations are full of blue shirt and red shirt groups. It's, it's just an instinct we have because it's, it's sort of the, the flip side of the desire we have to, to come together, to get things done, to create a sense of identity. The flip side of that is this instinct to keep other people out, right? And so oftentimes that kind of instinct to understand who's getting ahead, who's in or who's out is kind of primary. But then we start telling ourselves all these stories that rationalize right? Those, those divisions. So, well, it's because the blue shirt kids aren't as nice. That's why we don't play with them. Right. Um, and so, you know, to uh, affect change in an organization, when you see that kind of tribal conflicts coming up, it's under really important to understand, you know, what the underlying power dynamics are, as Mario was saying, for a given group, what gets you recognition and status? Is it about who gets paid the most or is it more about who's really gritty and who's puts in the extra work you know and how do they define insiders from outsiders and that can be things like even as simple as how you dress or what words you use and then and then you know start to understand those things but then uh, uh, start to tell sort of different stories that help you find common values that you can connect on that sort of transcend those insider outsider up down boundaries so it starts, you know, that tribal conflict there, that, that tribal desire is really fundamental, but you can use meaning making to transcend it by connecting on common values, connecting on common ways of working, things like that. That's great. Jeff, you might want to get a word in. <laughs> Am I reading you right? <laughs> I think Mario does. Mario does. Yeah. All right. Yeah. If I could, and I, I wanted to give Mike a, a shout out here in uh, one of his recent books, he talks about the central idea. Of, of an organization and we've been really influenced about by that and talk about it in the in the culture puzzle and i think it goes to the question you're asking and you know so like how do you how do you cut across up down left yeah. right etc right. and so i would say concretely mike this is how we operationalize your idea you know actually write down uh, the answer to the question, who are we? Why do we operate the way that we do? What's our history, where we're going? And boil that down to like 500 words, literally, uh, and shop it around and see if it resonates with people. We actually do that with, with our clients. And then, um, that, and then make that into a kind of living document and come back to it. Okay, it, it, does that reflect how we're working? Does this really express how we are together, you know, not in the C-suite and the front line or not over in, you know, in supply chain and finance and sales. How, how do we bridge those, those different groups, teams, tribes, and, be, and become one? For us, that's the, you know, that's how we think of the central idea. So, you know, you could, you know, literally put it on paper and have meetings about it, discussions, and get very concrete. Like, how do we manage our inventory? How do we do business forecasting? Um, are we in sync uh, about that? But, you know, having that, that kind of statement that captures how you do your work day to day, yeah. that can really help build connections uh, across the organization and, and create a unified culture. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Mario. So, Mario and Derek, uh, uh, I realize we're getting close here to the end, and I've got uh, certainly, the I think, the final question for me here, which is really about a starter kit. So I'm a manager. I pick up your book, and I want to put culture to work. I want to read the culture, understand the culture, and then draw upon the culture. So what are a couple of steps you'd recommend to get going 
with uh, storytelling and reading what's out there and then turning that to advantage. So Derek, do you want to start on that and then over to Mario? Yeah, yeah. I would say the, the first thing to me is to not make it about yourself. And I would say to get out and connect with your the tribes across your organization. And so what can you do concretely? Every organization has sort of these, as we've been calling them tribes, like the informal groups that cross cut the formal org chart. And they always have people in them who have accrued respect or status, even if they don't have the, the loftiest or highest title. And you know who these people are because they're the ones everyone goes to in that group for advice. You know, they're the ones who, when there's a big decision to be made, everyone kind of turns to them. So I would say identify those people, the ones who really have status in the different tribes in your organization and go out and build relationships with them. And it doesn't have to be a big formal thing. It can be setting up a 30 minute coffee chat with that person in engineering, with that person in HR to really just build a relationship with them, get to know them and start to understand how their group thinks and what they what they fundamentally value. Because once you actually need to get a new initiative or a new idea moving forward, you already have that kind of network built across those tribes of your organization. Um, so I think that's that 30 minute coffee chat is, is time well invested early Great. on. Very, very helpful. Mario, what would you add? Yeah, I, I think of culture in in terms of a process. You could think of it in in terms of steps. It starts with it starts with envisioning, and then you know we've been as we've been emphasizing. Uh, then from there it moves to listening, and then engaging in a conversation about closing the gap between what you hope to be and and the way you're actually doing your work day to day. And then experimenting, and you know, like right now, I'm working with a company that's going through a, a transformation, and they're going through these steps. So the COO has created a vision for how they need to work together across the various parts of their business, from design all the way through manufacturing. And he's been having meetings with groups to hear their reaction to it, and then they're having a discussion about how behaviors in different parts of the business, like in design and inventory and production, how the behaviors are similar or different. And then there are some action learning experiments we're running in those areas, like inventory management, business forecasting. So think in terms of those steps for us in the culture puzzle, that makes culture really concrete, actionable. Uh, it's not theoretical. And so, you know, start with your vision of where you want to go and then listen to reactions and then run experiments about closing the gaps. Great. Jeff. Right. Well, I'll remind our listeners that um, we're here talking with Mario Musa and Derek Newberry uh, about their just released book, The Culture Puzzle, Harnessing the Forces that Drive Your Organization's Success. And um, as we do start to wrap up here, I think I have a, a final question and then we will move into a brief after action review and uh, as, as is our, uh, our own habit. But my question's about habits, right? And, and really the relationship between um, the, the history, the historical habits that have shaped how we've gotten to where we are today um, and then the routines and the rituals that exist in the present, and and how how much congruence, how much um, relationship does that past and present need to have in your mind, Mario? Maybe I'll I'll give you that. It's your credit yeah. exam question. Yeah, yeah, 
Well, I think the really important question about habit is, are they serving us well? You know, so we're all creatures of habit. Uh, you know, so for example, before the pandemic, we most of us were in the habit of going to the office and working face-to-face. -face. Then the pandemic hit, and then we started to experiment because we had to. And then we learned, oh, you can get a lot done over Zoom. Maybe we don't need to go into the office. So, so you know, we why do we do things the way that we do uh, the way we do? Because that's the way we've always done things. Uh, and so, the important question is, do we need to change? You know, so you said, for example, your after action review is a habit. So it's been working for you. You know, uh, so you keep doing it. But maybe there'll come a time when you want to change that. So. Habits, you know, habits come out of the past. We're creatures of habit, but from time to time, you need to ask: Are they are the are habits helping us adapt and and be successful, or are they getting in in the way? Very much appreciated, Mario. Thank you very much. Um, and so, Anne, in a moment, I'm going to start with you, and uh, we will open it up. We'll ask everybody for for a brief headline about either something you're taking from today's conversation um, or a question that you're going to spend some more time with based on the conversation we've had here today. And uh, as in all of our after action reviews, the, the great habit is everybody gets to play. So Mario and Derek will be will be coming to you as well. And what do you got? All right, <laughs> Jeff, I really I like the title Culture Puzzle. And I like it because, Mario, you said uh, a couple times that culture is puzzling. It's puzzling. And, Derek, you added because it's everywhere. And because it's everywhere, it can seem to be nowhere. And I so appreciate your giving us a framework, a way of thinking about culture and of making something that seems very abstract and invisible actually concrete. And Jeff, if I can sneak in one more, uh, Mario made a very good point. The after action review is working for us, but we might want to think about a before action preview. That's innovation. It works. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> we're, we're here on Zoom, but I think everyone could see the way your eyebrow raised. <laughs> <laughs> The benefits of radio. So Anne has set the bar high uh, and she's also modeled appropriately the brief after action review comment. So over to you, Derek. I would say uh, my takeaway is culture happens whether you like it or not. Culture is what happens when two or more people come together. And if you're not really mindful about building the right culture, building the one you want, you're going to get a culture. It's just probably not the one you would prefer. So this is something that everyone has to think about. All right, Mario. My takeaway is to be an effective leader around culture means following a few principles. And I think we've talked about them today. It means slowing down, uh, paying attention, listening, being curious, but all then being responsive and then acting and experimenting. And Mike. Yeah, I'm going to go back to Anne's reference to the title. I think it really worked for me, the culture puzzle, because it really says most of us are puzzled by culture. 
And if we can kind of get our hands on it, it can be, quote, a source of competitive advantage, very underutilized. And at the core of drawing upon it more effectively, uh, I've got two phrases written down. We have to become a great storyteller, but equally a great story listener. So there it is, Jeff. Thank you, Mike. I, I think for me personally, I, I can sum it all up. Um, my my hope for all of the organizational leaders that are listening to into listening into today's show: um, don't be a sun god. Get in dialogue with your people, with your tribes. Um, you want your culture to last more than a day past, uh, well, maybe not your own death, but your own your own successful retirement um, and transition into a new set of habits. So. Derek, Mario, we're, we're delighted to have you back on the show. Um, congratulations on the new book. And, and for our listeners, uh, Mario, where can, where can folks find out more information about your work? Uh, my website, and they can find the book in all the usual places, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, local bookstore. Easy to get. All right. And, and Derek, let me, let me just ask, uh, on behalf of the listeners, if somebody wanted to check out that award-winning Coursera course, what's the best way to find it? Uh, you know, uh, you can check it out on my LinkedIn. It's posted there, which is also a great way to, to connect with me. And also on UPenn's uh, LPS, Liberal and Professional Studies, their website, we've got the full suite of courses. So I would definitely recommend everyone check it out. All right. Well, I'll say again to everyone, Mike and Ann, Mario, Derek. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Uh, You're welcome. Our listeners, of course. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Great to be with you all. Great yeah, to have you. So if our, for our listeners, if you have a question about something you heard on today's show, please email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Once again, be sure to follow our show on Twitter at SXM Business. And once again, a special thank you to our guests and friends, Derek and Mario. We'd also like to thank our producer, Patty Hall, our sound engineer, Chris Tooks. I'm Jeff Klein. I'm here with my buddies, Ann Greenhall, Mike Usain. And you've been listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 